Hello and welcome to We're Watching What? Or in the case of today, we're interviewing who? I'm your host Dana, or the DHKs I'm known, and my guest today is Caitlin House, who is the author of the new novel, The Awoken. And you might notice something a little bit different about this episode. It's somewhat of a hybrid between a roundtable and an interview, because full disclosure, Caitlin, or Katie as I call her, and I've known each other for a very long time. We went to college together. We've known each other since, and I told her I don't think I could have done this as an interview interview with a straight face. But because we've known each other so long, what we got to do is discuss two films that help inspire her book. The two films are 12 Monkeys and Children of Men, so major spoiler alert for those. And her book, The Awoken, is about Alibine Rivers, who's a politically active young woman with a bright career and future ahead of her, etc., etc. And then she gets diagnosed with terminal cancer and decides to cryogenically preserve herself and gets awoken 100 years in the future. And the world is not the same world that she left it in. So it's about navigating that it's a piece of speculative fiction we do talk a tiny bit about some of the specifics of the book but you absolutely don't have to have read it but again major spoiler alert for 12 monkeys and children of men and without further ado here's we're interviewing who i'm gonna tell you something and it might break our decade plus long friendship did you know that i had never seen 12 monkeys what no (laughs) really we managed to go through college together and hanging out for years and years and years and i had never bothered to watch 12 monkeys even though i know you love this movie. I love this movie. I cannot believe that I did not strap you down at some point and just. I don't think I ever to told it. you. I feel like it never came up, or like I never admitted it, and then I just was like, "I'm never gonna tell her." <laughs> I did not know that. I'm shocked. I'm gonna have to reevaluate everything. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But but think about it this way. This is how much I love you, and that I wa- finally watched it. Yay! <laughs> in order to have this discussion. Oh my god! Now you're gonna say I hated every minute of it. How dare you? I didn't hate every minute of it, but I, well, so, okay. I didn't hate. I didn't hate it. One. How how recently did you rewatch it? I watched it last night. I needed. Okay, the, I needed. A, I needed a, a refresh on it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yes. So, I one the sound mix just does not work on my TV, which is not the movie's mm-hmm. fault. Not the movie's fault. Two. I was like, oh yeah, Brad Pitt can kind of act. <laughs> What's so funny is I just seen. What's his name movie? Bullet Train? Yeah. I just seen Bullet Train, which actually I know you didn't like it, but I actually kind of liked it. I didn't but then hate I went, it. I just wanted it to be more zany. I understand. I could, I'm on board with you on that. I could say you could yeah. go 10 times more. But it did make me realize – because I was like, oh, Brad Pitt does a good job in Bullet Train. But then I was like, oh, no, old school Brad Pitt is actually so good. Yes. We miss him. And it's – I can't – I don't know what the point where he went from being – capable of being like not disappearing into roles but you know at least like being like oh yes he's acting to just being like I'm playing Brad Pitt every time I think Ocean's Eleven I think I can firmly pinpoint that at Ocean's Eleven interesting okay I there's probably some some outliers that come after that that he does a good job but I feel like as soon as he made the decision in Ocean's Eleven to basically play Brad Pitt chewy Mm -hmm. food and that was his character once the, once the food acting became the method once the food acting came into it I feel like he just went downhill from there I should have – I didn't look or I didn't clock whether or not he did the food acting in this. I don't feel like he did, but it wouldn't have surprised me if he did. In Bullet Train? No, in, he... uh, in oh, uh, no, 12 Monkeys. Monkeys. <laughs> 12 Monkeys, he absolutely doesn't do the food acting. No, he's doing okay. crazy eye acting in 12 Monkeys. Yeah, is that – that's got to be a prosthetic. There's definitely a you, you probably know way more about the, the production history of this film than I do, but – There's definitely, definitely a contact in one of the eyes. I think they okay. did – I think they did like a press – like a where it made, made his eye look still in one of them, yeah. and the other one might just be a color contact. Okay. They All made right. him look super, super goofy. I will say I did this time watching through it, which is the first time in a couple of years that I've seen it. 
I was the most aware that they were really kind of weaponizing mental illness in a way, which I guess is our world is kind of, I, in a good way, get, having these conversations. Yeah. I, I sort of was aware of that and aware of that in his performance specifically that I that I was like a little iffy about. And I was like, oh, I don't know if this sits as well with me as it did when I watched this eight years ago. But yeah, um, so... So that was going to be my question is, and I, you know, I'm going to assume you, I know you watched 12 Monkeys at least well prior to our, you know, friendship, which we won't say how long that is, but (laughs) so I'm assuming you saw it at a more formative time. What was it about this movie that you were like this? Well, all of Terry Gilliam's films really when I was there, all of he, everything he's done has basically made me want to go to film school to begin with. I mean, Brazil, I, I think, I mean, you know, my senior film at NYU was basically Brazil remade the way I wanted to make it. Yes. So yes. it's basically just, he just knows how to tell stories. Even the stuff that he's done that people hate, I love so much. Um, he's just, his imagination and his storytelling and the way he kind of in a very visual way gets to the emotion of his characters is just everything that I'm obsessed with in storytelling. So basically anything that he does, I love. But 12 Monkeys specifically, I just love how it all kind of it plays with time travel, all of the sort of like sci-fi tropes that I'm obsessed with. He plays with it and does a new, new, you know, he just does, takes it and makes it his own. And then he also, he's like so much of that film. I don't know if I, I think this, but I don't know if you feel this way. So much of that film still like is used in sci-fi today. Like a lot of the visual language that he developed in that movie, a lot of just the time travel rules and all of that stuff has continued and has helped build to where we are in the genre today. We're going to take a quick break and be right back. And we're back. I don't know if I agree with that in part because I haven't been able to sit with it as long. Well, just because it's like, I don't know, right? Like I saw other things that were more formative to me in terms of time travel. Like Mm -hmm. I think the timing on this is wrong actually, but is it before or after Terminator? Interesting. I would say before, but that's not based on anything. This was what, 95? Mid-90s? This is is well after Terminator. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So for me, like Terminator is, it's not the defining, well, also Back to the Future, you know, all those things. For me, there are other films that play with time travel in a more, I I think this is drawing from those possibly. You know, it's still the Terry Gilliam twist, but I, Mm -hmm. I at least... And obviously, I hadn't seen it until now, so it's not in my film vocabulary. But there are other things that I've heard talked about that I'm like, yeah, that's that felt pretty definitive for how a lot of people like to approach it. But this was his. This is very much. It felt very much like him, yes. for better and for worse nowadays. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think you necessarily share my enthusiasm for Terry Gilliam. So I, I love Monty Python. Mm-hmm. I loved Time Bandits. Actually, mm-hmm. I came to it later after like a post python like deep dive mm-hmm. you know not later but uh, you know probably like college or, or something like that but obviously like i've seen brazil not my favorite <sighs> but then but then we start to get into like modern terry gilliam <laughs> i just i don't want i don't want to touch it with a 50-foot pole it's also <laughs> like I, I, we talk about this a lot on this podcast but like art and artist you know mm-hmm. has become more challenging and he is someone who i've started to had to bucket into the like Oh boy, buddy, what you what you doing here? <laughs> like, what's going on here, man? Like, mm. he's uh, I like to say he's my wine, right? It's like you have you have your wine glass, and you know you can have different you know your wine glass is sort of the structure, and it's like, but you have to like the wine that gets poured in, and he's definitely my wine. And I understand that even though you can appreciate the wine glass, he might not be your wine. I get it. 
that metaphor makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> How many people are being like, hey, I appreciate the wine glass. <laughs> like very rarely am I in a situation where wine is involved and people are like, you know what? This is a wonderful glass, but yeah, this wine itself glass. tastes like shit. <laughs> like, yeah. like, it's, it's a perfect metaphor. I use it all the time. It's in writing. I actually think it came from Talton. So. Okay. Well, I don't. I don't know. But that's a, that's a like a couple speak metaphor. Not necessarily. Next time I come over, I'm gonna be like, "What lovely wine glass!" And then spit out yeah. the wine. Well, you can hate. You could love the wine glass and hate the wine. I don't. I just don't think. I don't know. I feel like there's a there's. It's close, but it's not quite there because how often? How often have you gone somewhere and be like, "What a wonderful wine glass!" Oh, we need to up your stemware, lady. We gotta up it. <laughs> we gotta up that game. Okay. <laughs> We're gonna go to TJ Maxx. See, for me, vehicle good. doesn't matter. I'm like, I will drink wine out of a box. I will drink mm-hmm. wine out of like a sippy cup, whatever it is. But what the content is matters to me more mm-hmm. than okay, the packaging. Fair. fair. I like the packaging and the content together. Okay. Well, that's, that's different than me. Anyway, we've gone on a tangent. <laughs> we've gone down too far. We've gone too down far. a dark, dark road. Um, okay. So what I also love about Terry Gilliam, though, um, speaking of wine and wine glass, is like he so he creates in a lot of his worlds, he's creating. I would say the theme of our our podcast today, creating a real. He has an interesting look at at a dystopian world, right? Like sure. it's. Yes. And like I'd say like Cronenberg and there's other people who do the same thing. But the reason why I like Terry Gilliam so much is that he does – there's – even in 12 Monkeys, I'd say there's like a weird hopefulness about it. There's still like an appreciation of the world and the beauty in the world. Like think about the scene where um, Bruce Willis just like right before he disappears again, he like goes and just like stands in the stream, right? And he's like, I could just mm-hmm. live here. Just like let me live here. Like there is this strange hopefulness about it even though everything seems like – the end of the world there is like mm-hmm. a quality of of hope or like nature or um some sort of optimism that i feel like yeah. so many other directors never bring into their dystopian worlds and i love that about terry gilliam he always sees like a little bit of beauty and even in the weirdest circumstances okay that's oh it's interesting you frame it that way or at least it's helpful for me because i was like i very much see the other movie we're going to talk about a children of men and i rewatched that yesterday and i was like one, this movie hits so much differently watching it today than it did watching yeah. it when it came out yeah. to the credit of the filmmaker. It's like prescient much. But two, I was like, I know you love 12 Monkeys, but I didn't necessarily see the influence as much aside from, you know, dystopian future, blah, blah, blah. But saying that the the optimism part to me mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. More sense. Because I, I, you're right in the, I think the scene that he's in the car and listening to the radio is like so excited and like talking mm-hmm. back to it. But yeah. I felt, I as someone who doesn't have, you know, this like hardcore built affinity for the film, I just kept, har- not harping on, but I was like, man, Bruce Willis is, it's, it, it, as much as I was like, oh yeah, Brad Pitt can act. I was like, Bruce Willis has a limited range and this is not. <laughs> but is that new? I, is that a new knowledge for you? No, it's not a new knowledge, but you know, I I don't watch as much Bruce Willis, I guess. So like, oh, or I hadn't just seen Bullet Train or you know whatever it was, and mm-hmm. you know, I was like, oh, I see what you're trying to do here, but I don't, yeah. I don't. Uh, this is this is as opposed to you know seeing someone who I was like, oh yeah, you can act. Yeah, <laughs> so you're like what this happened? Is more to you? Friend, you're like, oh no, this is always how you've been. Yeah, like, no, he, this this was your status been. quo. Yes, he's always been the same. But consistent to his credit, you know. At least yeah, there's there that. There you go. <laughs> I w- I really want to talk about Children of Men because yes. rewatching that yesterday, I was like, oh, okay. When I see this, too, I, I when is the last time you'd rewatched it prior to preparing for this? Do you think? So I actually had the reason why I mentioned it to you as a possible movie to discuss is I had our, I had just rewatched it 
for an, another for like a, a more my work reason so uh-huh. I, I had rewatched it like i don't i guess like a month ago at this point okay and i but i've, I've watched that movie pretty regularly i'd say i watch that really? movie like every two years yeah really i love that movie okay this is the first time i have rewatched it since 2006 oh wow really <laughs> yes uh yeah and i don't remember did i see it with you i didn't see it in theater so probably not oh you didn't I didn't see it in theaters. Okay. I saw it with a bunch of our peers, our our college Mm -hmm. classmates. And I remember at the time, the thing that ever, I thought it was great at the time. I was like, oh, this is amazing. You know, the thing that everyone wouldn't shut up about was the one, one take shot. Mm -hmm. I put that in quotes because I'm pretty sure there's a break somewhere in it that, you know, it's a well-hidden break, but. The one where they're running down the mountain, that one? No, I think it's like through the, I think it's escaping or it's like through the refugee camp. Oh, the one through the refugee camp. There's so many long takes in that movie. I'm yes, but this is like a three-minute take, and it was like, mm-hmm. you know, through a, a very heavy action sequence and all this yes. stuff and, and being filmed, you know, freshly minted film kids, uh, we I, people were obsessed with it. But yeah. I was, I also thought the film was spectacular. I just have not – it's it stayed in my mind, but not like, oh, I want to rewatch it again <laughs> because it was so bleak. Yeah. So the fact that you've been watching it every few years – I, love it. I guess maybe it doesn't hit as like, wow, they really got a lot of this right. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I still, I still, every time I watch it, I just like, I'm, I'm wowed again by it. I think it's, it's so, I think no matter what sort of time period you're in, it somehow talks to the issues of that time period, which is the best science fiction, science fiction ever yes, does, yeah, right? Absolutely. It's like, if it can somehow relate to your real life and make you see that in a better way, then, then it's done its job 100%. So I don't know if it made me see it in a better way is the problem. I was like, I remember at the time, like, oh, yeah. yeah, I was like, oh, this was bleak. But like, thank God, you know, <laughs> what is it? it takes place in 2027. I was like, oh, this is dystopian future, 21 <laughs> years. But I don't, I don't remember at the time. Maybe it is that, you know, youthful optimism or whatever being like, yeah, this is, this is what's coming. <laughs> 21 years in the future won't be. And then now I'm like, we've just lived through it. It's. It, it's it, they they got the years wrong by like six years or seven yep. years, but like they were too they shot too far in advance. <laughs> we got there quicker. Yeah, we we were like we see you we we see you, Alfonso. We raise you seven years. It's like we'll speed this up. <laughs> Talk about another director that I just love so much of everything that he does. I mean, the fact I think I only realized maybe like seven five or seven years ago that he also directed. Uh, Please don't say Harry Potter. No, a little princess. Oh yeah, and yeah, I was I just like, "What?" Because that movie was always my favorite movie growing up, and the fact that this guy who did these amazing movies from my adult life also did a little princess. Ugh, just like that's, I can't, I can't with that. I I don't have necessarily the. Uh, I I saw a little princess as a kid, but I didn't like. I wasn't like, "This is it. This is you. the thing." No, I understand. Yeah, yeah. Wow, actually, I forgot how long of a break he took between films. Children of Men took it out of him. That's fair. And what's interesting too, and this was part of, I learned this. So I, I had to watch it. Okay. I had to watch it because I had a meeting with Amblin and they brought it up as a p- potential comp for my- oh, had um, to watch it. I had to watch it. <laughs> but they brought it up as a potential comp. So I was like, oh, I, I want to be you know, up to date on this. And then in the meeting, they were like, oh, but you know, it was the worst flop. It just did terrible at the box office, which I didn't have that context about about um, about the film. I had no idea that it flopped. In my mind, it was always this like, I, mean, I didn't think it was like this massive hit, but I always thought it did well. But apparently it's like known in the film industry as being a great movie that flopped. Interesting. I know. I don't 
remember that at all either. But again, looking back at time, I was like, yeah, we were precious babies. Like, you know, we didn't know. Didn't, we didn't read the trades as much back then. <laughs> Actually, I don't even think the trades were accessible to people like us back then. But I don't think they were. Yeah, I mean, I guess he takes a seven-year break between that and Gravity. Gravity was the next movie he did? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 2013, Gravity. Wow. I mean, that's fair, I guess. Yeah. Look, I mean, if you can hit it out of the park as much as he does on a regular basis, I, I'm i like, that's what you aspire to, right? Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, don't of I mean, if, all even of if my dreams. Hit it out of the park as one of his films, <laughs> one of his great films, I'd be like, yeah, I'm good. I did it. I did it. I'm done. I, I Roma'd, you know, I like eat to mama tambien. <laughs> I'm, I'm good. Out. I'll see. I'm gonna I'm retire. Out. I'm gonna go to like you know wherever in Mexico and just chill for the rest of my life. Peace. <laughs> Children of Men. I think unlike Terry Gilliam, it has it's much bleaker. I think I think Alfonso looks more towards his characters for like their internal sort of desire for to 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 find hope in the world, mm-hmm. but you don't really feel that in any sort of intimate moments beyond like character love or anything like that. You know, you don't really feel that in the world around, which kind of in contrast to Terry Gilliam, where I feel like he has this respect for the world, I feel like Alfonso's like, fuck this, guys. Are, are we allowed to cuss? I don't even know if we're allowed yeah, to cuss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, F this. We can't. No, you uh, can. <laughs> the world is going to blow up and die. So I did take a very specific plot point in my, that's, in, I totally just stole it from, from Children of Men. I, I, uh, well, it's not that big of a spoiler, but like the, so you know how the, the oldest, or sorry, the youngest person in the world, the first mm-hmm. scene is he gets murdered. Yeah. Um, in my book, there's a very similar kind of character in the history of the of the world building, and he gets assassinated, and that is 100% stolen um, from Children of Men. Oh, see, okay. I thought you were going to say you stole the whole, like, not the whole plot, but, you know, the structure of being, like, cool. Like, we have a mission. Somebody has to accompany you. Like, there are a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of similarities, and this isn't just Children of Men. That's many no. things that are dystopian, and, you know, yours isn't really time travel because no. we just sort of progressing forward in time nobody's going backwards <laughs> we're no but there's like a thin veil we're not, yeah. yeah there's like a thin veil yeah, yeah 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 i at least drew i saw more direct parallels from children not a bad way from children and men and then having read your book i was like oh damn one this is a really good movie and two like this is a good yeah i can see the inspiration points certainly certainly yeah, yeah, yeah so so yeah in in the book i don't know if you remember but in the book there's that like the the first person who's ever resurrected Mm-hmm. You, you have the New York Times article and he's he's assassinated. It's not a big spoiler alert. Trust me. It's just like a blip in the it's book. Your, but you, it's your book. You can spoil it if you want. <laughs> spoil that part. So the first person who's ever re- resurrected, yeah. um, he becomes this like celebrity. And then you find out through a New York Times article that he's he was assassinated shortly after his resurrection. And I took that from – his name was – Jesus and in, in, do you remember in Children of Men the the youngest the youngest person alive? No, uh, Baby Diego. Baby Diego. Sorry, yeah, you're right. Baby yes. Diego. He gets he gets trampled to death, murdered, no, shot, stabbed, stabbed. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's because he won't sign an autograph. Uh, oh, right, right, right. He won't. And sign then an there's autograph. like a you know a mob of people who like get upset, and then um, the you know in a, a very um, uh, the Kennedy assassination way, they the, you know the mob then murders the person who <laughs> stabs yes. him. You know, like, okay, all right, like, just but isn't that also telling of like the human, like how we are as humans? You know, we have this like precious thing and we can't even figure out how to freaking handle ourselves around it. It's like the youngest person in the world, it's like the youngest person that will ever exist in humanity, and we're gonna, you know, stab him with a knife because we can't control our emotions. I think that just like so perfectly taps into how humanity handles any sort of crisis. We just like 
mess everything up even worse than it's already at. Sure do. Right? Sure We're do. really good at that. So I wanted yeah, to tell well, into that in the book too. <laughs> I, I I also give you credit because you you know much like Alfonso, you you predicted the future a little bit in terms oh. of like things getting repealed and like we talked mm-hmm. about this. And I came over to drink wine and or other alcohol, you know, the day that Romeo <laughs> was over from some lovely stemware. <laughs> <laughs> yes, fantastic. Yeah, but like. I, I, you know, you talked about this at the launch, but how, you know, how does it, how does it feel to have predicted the future in the worst possible way? It's not the exact future, but like, there's some groundwork there. No, but obviously that's what I was right. What was in my mind? You know, that was the yeah. thing that ever since Trump was initially elected, everyone was like, "Oh my God, Rose gonna go away." We were all terrified about this, so that was absolutely in my mind. And just the fact, just the way our system is set up, the fact that we can have these longstanding laws in place and and apparently constitutional rights defended and then all of a sudden it could just go away like that seems kind of crazy um so that that sort of instability and the fear of that instability in our country and the kind of how morality can just so easily slide around i think Mm -hmm. um is is something that i i was a very very prominent and, and initial theme that i wanted to to address in the book. And that was very much what kind of led me into a lot of what happened in the book. Yeah. I'm terrified that it came true. I, 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 I never thought it was like, oh, this is going to happen the month before the book comes out. Yeah. I, I mean, the sad, not saddest, but I feel like our memories are so short as a collective. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, that happened like a month ago. We've moved on. You know, there's a new scandal. It's the new, cl- like, let's open the safe. Like, it's just, you know, the launch timing could have been better. But yeah, it's just something I forget about you is that you technically died once. In I did fairness, die. it happened before we met. <laughs> It did. Yeah, I died. Yeah. So having died once, do you think you – you should probably explain the context of this. I don't want to like mess you it up You want to just leave it with I died and uh, – yeah, yeah, I mean we can, it's the opening of the book, but you know. Um, no, <laughs> yeah. If you don't mind explaining, uh, obviously you were with us now, thankfully. Uh, yes. So alert, it wasn't was a permanent state. It was yeah. not permanent. Um, yes. So when I was 17, I – got into a car accident. I was T-boned um, by this big, big car on an access road next to the highway, and I died. I have no memory of it. What I was told afterwards is that the only reason I survived was there was this um, former EMT who was um, passing by, and they stopped, and they pulled my body through the, my broken windshield and held my temporal lobe artery to keep it from bleeding out. But at that point, you know, she said I didn't have a heartbeat. Um, when the ambulance got there, I didn't have a heartbeat. And it took them, God, the drive to, I know that they res- they resuscitated me right before they got to the to the hospital. I can't imagine it took less than 10 minutes to get to the hospital. So one would imagine that I was without a heartbeat for 10 minutes. I know there was a lot of worry that I'd have like brain damage or something like that. Thankfully, <laughs> at least as far as I'm yeah, aware. Like, Do we make a joke here? We don't make a joke here. <laughs> Uh, nothing happened. They 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 were able to to bring me back to back to life. But that 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 experience obviously was incredibly traumatic. And at, to happen at seventeen, when you kind of already think you're invincible and on top of the world, for that to happen was was really affecting to me. Um, but I never really dealt with it. And and honestly, when I started writing this book, I didn't think about that, which is very weird to say. 
because uh, like like you say, like it seems pretty obvious. The main girl dies on the first page and then gets brought back to life. You'd think I'd immediately know that this was from my experience, but I didn't. It really wasn't until I read the first draft of the book that I realized, oh, I'm I'm dealing with the fact that I died. This is this is me. I didn't know that. I thought I was just doing all these like thinking about all, you know, the the themes that I want to talk about and, you mm-hmm. know, the fact that morality changes and and laws change and like people are constantly ostracized and othered and we get who gets to decide whose life is worthy and whose life isn't worthy. Um, those were all the sort of the head questions that I was trying to tackle in this kind of fun way where I also get to blow things up and kill off a lot of people. But uh, but yeah, but it wasn't until I like read it that I was like, oh, shit. This is it me. It's me. That's me right there. But then I saw it. Yeah. Like, so the, so what's really messed me up afterwards is I really only in that time that I was dead, I only saw like darkness and blackness and that nothingness really like haunted me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, there's nothing afterwards. I've had some sort of, I've had, we don't need to go into like my existential crises, but I've had, (laughs) (laughs) I've had other experiences since that have made me question that nothingness and maybe that that was just a temporary state, but that nothingness became, becomes like a character in the book almost. So, so then when I finally read that and I was like, oh damn, that's what this is. (laughs) Got it. Got it. Speaking from experience. Write what you know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Even if you don't know you're writing it, you will write what you know. I do, I do recall when we met, you know, you still have the glass in your face, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you like squishing it around. You still have, you know, a couple shards of glass in your near your eye and like being like, who is this person and why are they showing me their <laughs> car shards I, in their, under their I skin? Like, I don't, oh, you know, you can see it like poking around. Okay, so. I was homeschooled. I was, I can be very socially <laughs> awkward sometimes. It's like I honestly I don't even know if you'd gone to like public school. <laughs> Some of this is just you, and that's great. Love you for it. But having had an experience with, we don't even know. You know, maybe maybe what you experienced wasn't death. Death. I mean, obviously it was body death. But mm-hmm. <laughs> is you, would you freeze yourself? Would you cry or like like at this point in time, knowing what we know about the world? Obviously, your life situation has changed. You know, family, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, mm-hmm. Since you started writing, like yay or nay today freezing yourself i don't know about freezing myself so i do i am very interested in life extension in general if i were okay. a billionaire i would 100% be doing whatever elon musk is doing and like injecting myself with like infant blood or whatever <laughs> whatever they do ethically of course ethically whatever oh of course ethic ethically ethically, <laughs> ethically sourced infant, infant blood, blood. <laughs> yeah <laughs> So cryogenics, I think, is really fascinating. I think it's particularly useful for how I use it in the book, right? Where it's like you're young, you have some terminal illness that we don't have a cure for yet. You just need a pause button. You need like, hey, give me a couple decades and then I'll be okay. I would probably do it if that was the case. But like, do I? there are people who are like, oh, when I die at 80, freeze my body and then you'll figure out how to like make my 80-year-old body better. Um, it's what a lot of like Alcor, the people at Alcor say that they're gonna do. I don't know if I would do that. That seems like a lot to me. But I but um but I would use it in the case of like for for healthcare. I think that's okay. a really I think that's a really good use for it. Okay. Um but besides that, I really just want I just want someone to be like, Okay, here's how you can live to be eight hundred years old and I'd be like, Yes, thank you. Give me the sorcerer's stone. I will take it. Okay. All right. That's fair. Wouldn't you? Uh, I mean, well, yeah, if somebody wants to do that option, but if you're like <laughs> 80 but still 
spry, but there's like something starting to pop up and like whatever. I don't know. I I grew I grew up as a Star Trek kid, right? And so it's just mm-hmm. like, yes, science and medicine is just like a shot in your not a real like I I as someone who is terrified of needles, so the idea of just like the injector there where it's just like cool, I don't see a needle happening. Like science has progressed. To me, that was progression and hope and being like, yeah, I want to live to like that and see that happen and be, you know, everything is like food is a replicator. This, you know, nobody ever talks about extended lifespans in Star Trek, really, I've realized. But as a kid, I always just assumed like, cool, like let's do it forever. <laughs> <laughs> like bring me back as whatever it is or, um, you know. You I just want to see the future is what you want. I want to see the future, but I want to be a life. participant in the future okay. as well. And I would like to, I'd be happy to go along the journey. I would, well, if you'd asked me five years ago, six years ago, whatever it is, you know, I would have been like, yeah, I want to live every stage of it. <laughs> but now that having lived the last few years, I'm like, maybe a pause we button wouldn't forward. be the worst, <laughs> yeah. you know? No, because, you know, this might get too tangential or dark, but like the last few years have felt like they are on fast forward, mm-hmm. but I'm a, a hostage to them. You know, yeah. where it's just yeah. like, oh, I'm watching it. I'm participating in things, but I don't feel like I'm living the extent of my life mm-hmm. as opposed mm-hmm. to the option of like, all right, I'm 75, let's say. And I'm like, you know what? Like, this has been good, but like, let's see what 20, you know, 2200 has to offer. Yeah. For, unfreeze me in a couple hundred years. That's interesting. So for you, it's not like I need more time. You're just like, I want different no, experiences. I want more time as well, okay. but I want it to be like, quality Very. time yeah yes. got it that and then of sense. course the like then it turns into the philosophical debate of like well your friends and family might be dead like what if they don't choose not to you know then that's a whole well that's thing. so hard too i mean imagine someone from and the world is like a society we're only speeding up right imagine someone from 200 years ago trying just like popping in today and just being like hey cool let's let's figure out how to live life i mean you you'd have like would you even feel like home or like life was worth living at that point if you knew nobody knew nobody and didn't understand the world around you either i think that'd be really and and plus you're just going further into climate change i don't know it's it's right that's the that's the yeah that's the (laughs) dark part where it's like yeah if i'd had like more hope you know in the obama years or whatever i'd be like yeah yeah we'll we'll figure it out we'll star trek it (laughs) we'll federation of planets like it's a big great like i want to see first contact with not just amoebas like i want vulcans you know (laughs) I would I would Cylon myself in a second though. Oh, okay. I would one hundred percent do the like digital digitizing of my soul, become a being that can then like reincarnate over the years. I would. That seems sounds yeah, like the I would, perfect. I would life certainly to me. consider that. It cracks me up that your dad brought up Battlestar at your. Oh my God. <laughs> I yelled at him multiple times. He, <laughs> he knows you well, right? Because we did when we we were planning this episode. We talked about like influences. Obviously, Battlestar is way more like heavy sci-fi than I think, you know, dystopian. Well, it's a little dystopian future, but uh, you know, it's something we know you love. (laughs) He's not wrong. (laughs) He's not wrong. And I get what he's he's saying. And his Sarah Thrace thing was like, not completely. (laughs) It's not completely off, but also read the room, (laughs) read the room, Chip. (laughs) But Chip clearly read the book and like, at least, you know, he he recognized aspects of the things that you like and (laughs) Oh, certainly. Yes. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not one dimensional, but there's like, there's clear things that occupy but my there brain are formative space. formative things. Yes. 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 Battlestar yeah. Galactica is one of them. <laughs> being one. Apparently children of men being one that I did not realize had children of as, men. lived as much rent free in your brain as I thought. Oh, certainly. <laughs> certainly lives rent free in my brain. You, yeah. but you didn't, so you see more of 12, you see more of children of men than 12 monkeys in the book. 
I thought so, but it's also because I had seen Children of Men before. And even mm-hmm. when I was reading the book, I was like, oh, this is a it, Children of Men is something I very much associate with post-apocalypse type stuff, mm-hmm. but like close future post-apocalypse. And again, now having rewatched it in, for the first time in almost 20 years, it's like, oh, it wasn't that post, that far, po- <laughs> you know, it was really, it felt like a long time from now, but really it just wasn't. And yep, they did that. So, but you know, it's something I was familiar with, right? Yeah. So I was like, I was able to draw it. And, and then the order, I read the book, had had seen Children of Men 20 years ago, read the book, you know, Got then it. watched 12 Monkeys for the first time, and then rewatched Children of Men. So it was just like, yeah, of course, I see the thing I knew. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Um, I'd say like, yeah, there's just a ton of, I mean, I don't think any writer or filmmaker, anybody can can say I do stuff without any influence. I feel like everything I've ever watched or written or read has, is, is in my book somewhere, right? Yeah, There's like a little piece of it. Uh, uh, what is it? Uh, not mimicry. What is it, the best best form of flattery? What's that turn mimicry. of phrase? Mimicry is the best form of flattery. No, yeah. it's like uh, whatever not, it is. It's like copying. It's not yeah, mockery, yeah. but it's just yeah, like, you know, doing the same thing is the best. Is kind of, I'll figure it out later for the footnote. Yes, there you go. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah. But it's, it's I, you know, it's more like I saw inspiration from yes. it. And I think because it, to me, it was more action heavy as opposed to um, 12 Monkeys has action in it. But I think, you know, probably budgetary constraints and all these other things like made it a little more contained to certain sequences as opposed yeah. to, you know, things blowing up and, and raids and, and big scenes in the woods and all that stuff. I was like, oh, yeah, no, I, I see. I see where this came from. That's interesting you say that because I was when you brought up Terminator earlier, I was actually going to say I, I it's hard for me to look at Terminator as anything but an action movie, which makes me not like it because I don't like action movies. But I guess my book does have a lot of action and I do blow stuff up. I mean, what do you mean you don't like action movies? I just there's when it's just like ongoing battle sequences it's just like come on please i don't care kiss someone already that's what so, i'm always saying in my brain at all the, times well, the only reason in my head i'm like wait a minute is because like the last movie we watched together in person was the meg which i would define as a monster <laughs> action movie obviously with an important romance subplot between jason statham and the meg no um, <laughs> yeah i know like romance is your you know the fact that you made us play a Pride and Prejudice game, the card game one. Marrying Mr. Darcy, the fantastic yes, card yes, that's game. What it was. I highly Which, recommend I'm to shocked everybody. that you never made us play again. <laughs> I, that's it's, only because I've been yelled at so many times by making people play it over and over again. Well, I was going to say, I also assume like Talton is just like, please no more. It's like, we're done. <laughs> we can't, I can't marry Mr. Darcy again. <laughs> no longer. You haven't even played the expansion packs yet. Oh my there's God. The there's the Pride and Prejudice pack. and Zombies expansion pack. Oh, no. Yes, it's no. awesome. Do you want to marry Mr. Darcy or eat him? You get to choose. I mean, ooh. Marry him no, and still, eat him? Well, is he a zombie too? Like, there's a million questions <laughs> I have about this. Okay, so you're not a big action person, and yet you've written an action romance, uh, dystopian future, you know, speculative fiction book, which is now going to be made into a series. Yes, it is. How are you feeling about the fact that you know they're going to add all those action sequences in? <laughs> I'm just going to keep them to a legitimately reasonable time, right? Okay. I get that you can run away and escape from a evil scientific lab, but you don't have to do so for 20 minutes. We can get in and out of there real quick, right? So that's what it, that's what it's going to be. We're just going to get in and out. Okay. But I, I get the action. I think the action sequences are fun, right? Like they propel you through through the the novel or you know the TV show. 
but they were sus- you know, they're suspenseful. Almost- they're not necessarily all like, we got to blow up the thing. We got to do whatever, you know, some yeah. of them are, but- Yeah. There's a little bit of blowing up stuff, but like, who doesn't yeah. like a little bit of blowing up? I'm into a little bit of blowing up, but no, I'm excited. I think it'll be great. I'm, I'm thrilled that I'm, you know, that they're letting me adapt it, which will be great and really fun. And I'm just excited to, you know, because I don't know if you know the history of it, but it sort of started as a script first. I know it started as a script first. It kind of started <laughs> as a script first and then it became a novel. And so to bring it back to a script, obviously it's different since it's become a novel. Right. But to bring it back, I think is going to be really fun. And to to bring these characters that have been living in my brain for so long, just kind of out into the real world will be awesome. Uh, most important question. Who would you say is the most important supporting character in the entire book? Obviously, Gina. Yes. And Gina. who do you envision play? <laughs> I have some thoughts here. No, so I actually for, don't know. For those who don't know, there's this character <laughs> named Gina Han, which may or may not be slightly, slightly named after a certain Dana Han Klein. Who, di- who didn't know that until she started reading the book and was like, I don't want to be presumptive, but like. This character, the, the just physical description of the character also kind of sounds like me. And I was like, oh, is, it, is this me? <laughs> well, like, you know, not me, but is it, what? Her personality isn't your personality, that's for sure. I had to make her, she had to be different for plot purposes. Um, so her personality is not your personality. But yeah, I would there, say there I envision. We have some similarities personalities-wise. Like there were, there were self-reflective or self-aware moments where I was like, yeah, no. I She's definitely harsher than you are. She... Yeah. yeah, I know you can be harsh on people, but she yeah. yells at people. She's like, "No, you're a bad person." Yeah, well, Go she away. gets to she gets to manifest what I'd like to do. Oh wait, maybe she she's just yeah. like you without restraint. I like that. Yeah, exactly. She's um, post-apocalypse me, but anyway, no, I'm just post-apocalypse. Like, right, right. Yeah. When you're when you're put into dystopia, that's what you're going to turn into. Hey, I would I would be by your side if you're going to turn into Gina. I will be by your side because she's the she's the one who kicks butt in the in the book, and she's the one you want on your side. What would you rate your post-apocalypse survival skill level at? Like, how do you think you would do in – Let's take. we won't say, like, zombies are involved. <laughs> I was going to say, do I have to fight things? I think I, my skill set would purely be in who, who's, who – how can I use the people around me? I can, like <laughs> – how can I – so it's going to be luck of the draw. How can I make sure I'm just near people who I can, I can help kick butt, okay. but I don't have to kill people myself? I would not be good well, at killing Well, I didn't people. say you had to kill people. I just said it's an apocalypse. Apocalypse. Or so post-apocalypse, I mean, I like you know. I feel like I'm resourceful. I feel like I'm, okay. I am I can think quick on my feet. I think though, I think it's for me, it's more of the physical side of it. Would I have to kill people? Would I have to like run for three days street with, straight without water? Things mm-hmm. like that I would not do so well with. But like sure. the like, okay, here's like, this is like the Oregon Trail version, right? Like here's your basic supplies. So what, what did you just call that statement? The or- I, I don't say it right. Homeschooled. Remember homeschooled. <laughs> the Oregon Trail yeah. version of the apocalypse. I feel like I would be great at. I can like strategize. Okay. Long, long lead planning. I mean, you also have like carpentry skills. So I feel like. I do have carpentry skills. Yeah. Little known fact. Multi-talented. <laughs> <laughs> the hyphen it includes carpenter. <laughs> that came up in. One of my uh, – that Q&A with David Yu the other day, he, like, read out my bio. I don't even know what bio that has that in, but somehow he found a bio that has the fact that I'm a woodworker in it, and he read that out, and he, like, started talking <laughs> to me about it. I'm like, this is not the time to talk about my woodworking, but I would be happy to show but you we're my- talking about it now, so. Now well, we can talk about it. <laughs> I think I would do okay in the initial surge of it, possibly, mm-hmm. like, depending on what, you know, if it's, like, a slow burn or an inciting incident. I mm-hmm. might do okay in that. I don't know 
if I would, do, you've seen how picky an eater I am. <laughs> I don't know if we're in like that level survivalist. If I would, I, I would hope I would adapt. But <laughs> I think um, you would adapt. I think you would do. I think you would do well. I think also like a merciless side would come out. So you probably yes. want to surround it. With That's what I'm saying. Like, like I yep, feel like we got to do it. Yep. Like, no, we gotta we do have it. to kill this person. Give, I'm like, give me the give me like the excuse. <laughs> um, I say that, and yet I know I would be too much of a. No, that's a, it depends. Anyway, um, <laughs> are you willing or able to talk about what your like dream casting would be? I honestly, I I haven't beyond the one character who. So when this was a script before, we shot it as a short film in in London, and right. the guy who played Max, I desperately want him back, and I'm being very public about this because I think <laughs> I finally will just shame him into it. It's Nikesh Patel, who's now starring on Starstruck on HBO, who's amazing. He played Max in the short film. And I literally, I read the book came out. I wrote I wrote him a note and I was like, you're my Max forever and always. Please come back to me. Ignore your HBO show. Like, why do you need it? So he's always been my Max. Um, I would love for him to come back and be Max. Do you feel he's a little bit old to play Max now? No offense to him. He looks very youthful. He's, but- I know he's youthful. But also like... Time is sort of – I'll also say to take it out of like present day, dream casting throughout history. Like you could cast anybody. Like what is anybody? the type of actor? That's really – what do you think? I'm not I'm not so good at casting. I I'm, I, I have know. I have very specific people in my head that aren't real people. <laughs> like- no, no, no. You don't have to cut it. I, I'm very happy to talk about it. I just don't know, honestly. I'm interested to hear – like who would – because Alibine's hard, right? Because you don't want her to be someone who's too whiny or like weak, but you can't – but she also has to be like relatable. I could see so, like Daisy Ridley. Daisy Ridley, yes. I could see Daisy Ridley. Though I just saw I just, her in that movie that I did not like. That's so descriptive. <laughs> right? That's her, isn't it? In the movie we both didn't like. Which movie? That's a lot of movies. Where the crowd sing. Isn't that Daisy Ridley? No, that's not Daisy Ridley. <laughs> that's <laughs> so I'm bad at casting because I don't know people. No, that's God, what is her name? Daisy Edgar Jones, who I actually Daisy think is delightful Jones. in um normal people. Daisy Ridley she is, is Ray really from Star people. Wars. Oh, no. She's too badass. Maybe it's because she just plays Rey. But she's too strong. You would never be like, oh, she's dropped into an apocalypse. She doesn't know what to do. Oh, that's true. She would exactly know what to do. You'd be like, yes, please. Go win the world. You need somebody who doesn't know. I feel like she could play, like, adapts quickly. Maybe. I could say that. Like, I I guess, like, and this is a little cheating because people have compared the Awoken to Hunger Games. So I guess it's a little cheating. But, like, Jennifer Lawrence that type like her old school jennifer lawrence like winter old zone. school Je- that's so upsetting <laughs> not, like, statement. Yeah. Well, not like um what not like a silver linings playbook jennifer lawrence but like you know like like winter's bone or like cats yeah, yeah. jennifer lawrence like, i think she could i think the, the thing i enjoyed about the character and you're right is like you, they do have a strength to them but it, i i also just came off a movie that i, I this is like whiny youth you know mm-hmm. character or, or just like i was like you're just like a spineless Who's who's gonna aspire to this, or who's gonna like? Why do mm-hmm. I what, what? I don't care what happens to you. Yeah, <laughs> like I just want you to go away. In fact, <laughs> like, I don't I care don't, if you survive. You should. They should probably put you back in the freezer. Like, <laughs> yeah, so the I world was really, a better place with you in the freezer. I had to balance that line, right? Like, I the yeah. first draft, Alibine was too. The main character was too too much like me like too kind of wimpy not that I'm wimpy but like too sort of wimpy but but like too sort of unsure and like I'm not sure if I can do this but she definitely has that but I think I tried to make that more relatable where like if any of us were dropped into her position you'd be like uh this is a lot um without her a little without making her too whiny so that was like a definitely in the edit process a line that I had to 
balance. What do you think the biggest change was from the first iteration? Not necessarily. Well, I guess the film. Like what the first iteration that's percolating in your head to the the book we actually got was. Probably more action, honestly. <laughs> your favorite. <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, the very first iteration was much was a sort of a much slower kind of like learning how to like live in a refugee camp and and like more that side of it. And so I put them much more on the run in mm-hmm. in the various as the plot develops. Children of men. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess it's children. They have to get to a place. Um, so yeah, so that was probably the biggest change, just having adding more action in there. All right. I will, I will ask you one of my uh, uh, questions that I asked. So what do you admire most about her? About Alibine? Yes. I avoided saying her name because I don't know how to say her name. <laughs> We've talked about this often. <laughs> like, it's like Alabaster, but Alibine. It's not a name. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a name. It's not a name. Okay. What do you admire most about Alibine? Probably her capacity for hope. Her capa- Same thing I admire about Terry Gilliam. <laughs> her... <laughs> Her ability, really, Alibine and Terry Gilliam are the same person. Um, okay, no, yeah, her. yeah. Let's, let's, that'll be the tag for this. <laughs> Just her, her ability to kind of see hope or love or optimism. I mean, right? She's given a cancer diagnosis at twenty-two, and she says, "Okay, let me look into freezing myself." Like it, that's not the science fiction part that happens today, and anybody could do that. But how many people actually do that? Well, Alibine is one of the people who who does that and she says okay I'm not going to just give up I want to try try for more and hope for more and because of that she effectively you know helps change the world so I'd say that I'd say that's you know I'd like to have yeah. her hope Alibine is both Terry Gilliam and Uncle Walt great package all, you know the parallels are clear I don't know what anybody else <laughs> would get from this I think if we've learned anything, again, it's that Alibine is, one, how to say Alibine, two, how not to say Oregon, three, stemware, <laughs> four, that she is Walt Disney and Terry Gilliam rolled into one. Yes. Well, congratulations on the book. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for providing some inspiration for Gina. Everyone should oh, yes. read it just to see Dana just as s- Gina. D- d- yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't harp on this. I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't even know if I should text her about it, but I'm good at. <laughs> no, I'm glad you did because honestly, and this is the truth. I thought I, we had talked about it. I thought like no, as soon sure as I had not. <laughs> That's fun my surprise, beat. fun Easter egg. I do have casting thoughts on that one. We'll talk about them later. Oh, yes, I want to hear them. I would love to hear them. Okay, all right. A huge thank you to Katie for doing this. I am so incredibly proud of her. The Awoken is for sale now. There's also an audiobook version of it and as we mentioned it will be adapted eventually so hopefully you'll get to see it on a screen someday if you liked this episode we would love it if you could leave us a rating or a review or even consider subscribing 